Bible prophesied of a unique time on earth. Israel would be returned to her land, the church would turn to false doctrines, technology would increase, and wickedness and immorality would run rampant. The time spoken of so long ago has come. Join Charlie Garrett as he breaks down these events for us as they unfold each week. Today is uh, July 23rd, 2017, which means it's time for the Prophecy Update of the Week. And uh, a few quick announcements. And um, one of them is really, it's something that's very distressing for me personally because this is somebody that I love immensely. He was a person we highlighted on our uh, Person of the Week on the uh, Prophecy Update about a year ago. And his brother which I didn't know until after this happened. His brother is a rather famous musician who died this week. He took his own life. And um, I, uh, I had never heard his music, so I clicked onto it. And he has over half a billion views on one song. So this is a, you know, you listen to something like Led Zeppelin, who everybody's heard of, and they might have 20 million views. So this person is obviously, uh, was very famous, and the pressures of life came down on him to the point where he took his own life. And, my friend Brian, who lost his brother, uh, he says that his brother was a, a, a strong person. He he was a very giving person, and he he was. I don't believe that he was sure whether he was saved or not, but I think he believes he is. And uh, people go through trials in life, and we want to remember this because when something like that happens, like when we lost our dear Kelly a year or two ago, it's over. And you don't have the chance to say the things that you wish you had said. And so it's a lesson for all of us as our hearts go out to Brian that we would also remember in our own lives the people that we see and come in contact with. We may get just one chance with them. And I, I, not to be perverse, but I was driving over the bridge this morning coming to church and I saw a guy jogging and I thought, you know, if my front wheel went out, I could steer off the road and hit him and that would be the end of his life. And you think about life from that perspective is that when somebody goes out for a walk, you say, you know, I love you. And uh, when you're going to work in the morning, you give each other a hug and a kiss and say, you know, I love you because you don't know your last moment. So we want to remember uh, our, our precious friend Brian and his loss and his whole family in this. Um, secondly, um, I have some people that uh, I want to recognize, Mark and Becky Finley, who today is their anniversary, and they attend online with the Superior Word. And they probably didn't know that I was going to say that, but I just happen to remember somewhere along the line that their anniversary was coming up, and so uh, happy anniversary to them. And then uh, I have somebody to highlight this week, as I do each week, and um, I am unable to read the commentary that I want to read because um, it was sent to me in a letter about a week and a half ago, and um, I read it in the back room where I usually sit and go through things before I clean the church, and I broke down in tears, and I, uh, I went home, and I s- said to my wife, I said, I want to read you this letter that these, this family wrote me, and I got to the first word, and I broke down. I said, here, you're going to have to read it yourself, so I'm going to ask my friend Jim to read this. This is uh, to highlight a person named Christopher Chubbuck. Okay, let's see. Dear Charlie, this is uh, written June 20th, 2017. For the past two years, we have been in our been your online family. My husband, Randy, and myself have been staunch, long-time believers. We have had a love of prophecy in the Bible since high school, a, grad, a 1980 graduate. From before we were married, we prayed for the children 
God would give us and that our family unit would be a testimony to all who knew us. God gave us, God gave to us, uh, raise a daughter and two sons. We have two children in heaven through miscarriage. All our children came to faith around six or seven years of age. Our youngest, Christopher, did also. And that was before we were coming into a diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome and neurofibromatosis, NF1. Um, All with learning disabilities and sensory integration issues. At age 16, Chris has been listening and watching a lot of the messages we watch online, and he felt convicted that he might not be saved. I believed at, at this age he was coming out of an age of accountability for him, and he realized he was a sinner and that Christ's death on the cross meant for him now that he was older and, and come to more mature understanding. We knelt by the couch, and he poured out his heart to God and settled this for sure. What wonderful assurance this has been to us as parents. Randy and I have gone through many stressful work-related changes in these last two years due to our belief the Lord's return is very near. We've spread seed of the gospel generously and pray for God to give the increase. I had also been praying that the Lord would give me a voice and a platform to witness without fear. Well, God has just recently pruned us for this for his glory and purpose and a new phase of our life. This is my picture. Is it? She just added. Okay. Uh, God walked beside our youngest 18-year-old son, Chris, and scooped him up in his arms and took him to his new heavenly home and healed him from all diseases. I was quietly without any noise or pain or hurt to Chris. He was out working with his dad, and when it happened, it was like an angel had laid his body down gently, quietly, in such a peaceful position, as if he were lying on his stomach on the bed with his face to the side, arms down in a relaxed state. Charlie, about two years ago, we saw your screenshot in the tube collage of related topics. The shofar on your desk caught my attention. Yours was the only update that Chris watched. He always laughed at the irony of the week. He loved the Daniel 12 technology. He uh, was a gift to him as well as his older brother. We see this pruning as a time for a great harvest to come. Chris, just breathe one moment here and the next moment in heaven. Such a message to the loss that we encounter. Everything about the service was God-designed, inspired, and directed. What a day of worship that was. There is so much more I could say, but I'll end here. God bless you, your church, and ministry. Like I tell people as I leave them, if I don't see you on the ground, I'll see you in the air. With hearts overflowing, Randy and Vicki Chabuck of Ringgold, Georgia. That is, uh, and it's glorious at the same time. Thank you, Jim. Sure. Our first category today is Israel. And uh, from the Times of Israel, uh, you probably heard this if you didn't. It's just good news. And uh, I, I know this is the case. Pence restates Trump pledge to move embassy to Jerusalem. Uh, this president, according to Pence, uh, stands with you. And I promise that the day will come when President Trump moves the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. It is not a question of if 
It's only a question of when. That's right. So it's going to happen, and uh, uh, people, especially in this day and age, as I've said on a couple updates, people will uh, get a little antsy because uh, our president doesn't change the world in 32 seconds, and uh, he's got an entire uh, nation against him. I'm talking about the the left. I'm talking about the people in Congress on the right, and uh, he is doing his very best, and he has made a commitment to move that embassy, and I guarantee you this is a man who keeps his commitments. And just because it didn't happen the first six months, people say, well, he's not holding up his promise. He has four years to keep this promise, and if he does it on the last day, He's kept his promise. So, well, eight years. Yes, he has eight years, but he better do it in the first four years. That's all I can say. So, uh, or I will take it as a broken promise, but he will do it. I am certain of it. So, uh, good news from Vice President Pence. And then from the Jerusalem Post, ministers approve bill. Very good news here. This is over in Israel, aiming to take Jerusalem off of the negotiating table. Now, this will change. We know it will according to Scripture. But for right now, this should do something that uh, will have great, great uh, effect on these negotiations between them and the Pakistanians. Legislation to put a seemingly insurmountable obstacle before any Israeli leader seeking to divide Jerusalem in diplomatic negotiations can move forward after the Ministerial Committee for Legislation approved it. This does not mean it's approved yet. It means that a committee has submitted it for further uh, Uh, processing. The amendment to basic law, Jerusalem, pushed by Beit Yehudi leader, who is Naftali Bennett, states that giving up Israeli sovereignty over any part of Jerusalem would require approval by 80 members of Knesset. That's two-thirds of the Knesset. This is something that we have as a protection in our own constitution for many things. And this is something they're proposing there as well. And that way, if 80% of the people want it, or I'm sorry, yeah, 80, 80 MKs or two-thirds of the percentage of the people want it, then it should happen anyway if you're in a democracy. But there are times where you get a, a knee-jerk reaction to something and half of the people want it and half of them don't, and it could go badly. So Bennett said that uniting around the United Jerusalem bill will strengthen us in the world and prevent future pressures on Israel. Jerusalem was saved from the disaster of division twice, with efforts to divide the city led by former Prime Ministers Ehud Olmert and Ehud Barak, who had a temporary majority in the Knesset. That is over. The United Jerusalem bill will prevent any possibility of dividing Jerusalem with the current Knesset's makeup and without a peace deal on the table. It would practically be impossible to get two-thirds approval for dividing Jerusalem. However, things could change if a government reaches an agreement with the Pakistanians. In 1978, peace with Egypt was approved in the Knesset by 84 to 19. So there is a precedent that it can happen. And the 05 Gaza disengagement passed with 67 to 45. So you can see that it was completely different with the Gaza disengagement as it was with, you know, this thing with Egypt. Um, next article is the longest article I'll ever read on a prophecy update, but it is so interesting. This is, now remember, this is Jerusalem Post who's going to be doing this. It's a Jewish person that typed it up. And his final analysis at the very end is as if you're picking up the Bible and reading it. And, you know, they're not thinking this. They're thinking, oh, everything's going to be fine. And so listen to this article. It's just, and because it's so long, I'm going to skip an Islam section today. We need a break from Islam anyway. So um, Jerusalem Post, Israel in the unexpected new world order. While the West is distracted by political uprisings and remains enamored with the idea of its own manifest destiny, 
A new world order is emerging, dominated by up-and-coming global superpowers like Russia, China, and India. Over the past eight years, many unexpected diplomatic changes have occurred. The Islamic Republic of Iran has formed a partnership with the infidel nation of Russia, exactly as the Bible said would happen. Less than two years ago, Russia moved into Syria and shows no sign of leaving. And Syria, despite its own problem with radical Islam, has strengthened bonds with Iran's fundamentalist regime. Turkey's president has taunted Western Europe, preferring to pander to Moscow and Beijing. And China, though physically distant, has subtly installed troops in Syria. China's fleets are also appearing in joint exercises with Iran in the Persian Gulf, something we reported on, and Russia in the Mediterranean. As for Israel, how is this small country, a mere sliver of land, is accorded such deference? The world's only Jewish state is making deals with Turkey, Russia, and China, in spite of their alliances with Iran, which is dedicated to Israel's annihilation. Why is Jerusalem pursuing such deals? And ambivalent at best about Israel, why are these nations agreeing to them? A new world order, difficult for the West to recognize, answers many of these questions. About six months after Obama began his first presidential term, a new partnership was born in the Russian city of Yekaterinburg. On June 16, 2009, leaders from Brazil, Russia, India, and China met to discuss ways to impact the global financial situation. Everybody knows that. It's the BRIC alliance to reflect changes in the world economy. Reuters noted at that time that BRIC nations account for 15% of the $60.7 trillion global economy. But Goldman Sachs predicts that in 20 years' time, the four countries could together dwarf the G7 and China's economy will overtake the U.S. in total size. Indeed, nine years later, those four nations, along with the addition of South Africa, Hence, the BRICS, because they've added the S on the end, are rapidly moving toward a position of global economic dominance. Economic growth is skyrocketing, especially in China and India. In comparison, GDP growth in the U.S. and the U.K. already looked like what Reuters had predicted. BRICS has also established its own international bank, which is a very important thing that they did a while ago, called the NDB. We talked about that in a much older update. Under the auspices of BRICS, member states, its purpose is to finance infrastructure projects inside those member states. China has started another initiative that could bring about the most dramatic transformation of the world economy since the Industrial Revolution. The project is called the Belt and Road Initiative. Unveiled only four years ago, it will take an estimated $7.5 trillion to develop. But the benefit is nothing less than an explosion of prosperity, not just for participating countries, but for the whole world. No less than 75 nations have joined the Silk Road Chamber of Commerce International. Members include the Eastern Goliaths of China, Russia, and India. For those keeping an eye on Israel... Other notable members, along with the Jewish state, include Syria, Iraq, Iran, Turkey, Egypt, Qatar, and the Fakistanian territories. Because China's most important land road runs straight through the countries in this region, the land road begins in the Chinese city of Xi'an. 
Its path runs directly through Tehran, mortal enemy of Israel, moving into Iraq. It then goes directly into Turkey or through Syria to both Turkey and the Mediterranean. If China's land road goes through Syria, you wonder why all this is going on in Syria right now? This is it. Um, As Tehran hopes it will, and Tehran is in Syria right now, the Iranians trying to make their own road through, they're making the, uh, uh, what do you call it, the Shia Crescent in Syria. This is all being orchestrated, and the linchpin is Israel. We'll go on. Um, As Tehran hopes it will, it will connect at the Mediterranean for shipping exports to Europe, Africa, North America, and South America. Russia is guarding the Mediterranean with a fully developed and growing seaport, Iran may be connected to the Western Sea, but Russia is determined to hold its coastal, or, yeah, its coastal key. Israel is only miles south of the China land road and only miles north of its proposed sea road. The latter, sometimes called the Maritime Road, connects China with Southeast Asia, India, East Africa, and upwards through the Suez Canal, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, and Egypt. Geographically, Israel is just off center. Why then is it treated with such respect, especially by the likes of China and Russia? Already, Israel is getting under the skin of other members in the Silk Road International Chamber of Commerce. Its huge gas and oil fields just off in the Mediterranean are on the verge of piping fuel directly to Europe, cutting into Russia's market. Maneuvering its way into the transport of goods via China's land and sea roads, Israel is floating the idea of an alternative shipping route to Egypt's costly Suez Canal. Now, this is something I did not report on, but I've had it in my file for quite a while. I'll read it, and if you don't understand, I'll explain it. It will be cheaper and faster, Israel argues, to deliver goods to Eilat, which is their southern city in Israel, transfer them to a high-speed train that goes to Ashdod on the Mediterranean. Instead of going through the Suez Canal, unload it here, drive it right through Israel, and reload it back in Ashdod. It'll save all kinds of time and it'll save all kinds of tariffs with Egypt, okay? The goods go through there, out to the world. In response, Cairo, Egypt, is already calling foul. Most importantly, Israel's position to guard the world's internet. Everything today is traded, controlled, and administered online, and Israel is emerging as the world's number one guardian of the World Wide Web. That means regardless of being a few miles off track from China's land and maritime roads, it is positioned to be the center of both belts. Economists worry that China's ambition could trigger a global economic collapse, a currency collapse specifically. Maybe BRICS and the One Belt Road don't care. A global currency collapse might be seen as the way to wipe out the slate, make it clean of nation-based currencies, which is exactly what they've been trying to do, especially the U.S. dollar and establish an international one like Bitcoin, something we have reported on continuously. If Bitcoin is the model for a new internet-based global currency, Israel is likely to be its guardian too, protecting that currency from hackers around the world. As chief of security for the world's info and currency, and with energy independence, Israel stands to gain substantial wealth. It is a position that explains the willingness of Russia and China to negotiate with Israel today. It is also a small position that will invoke resentment tomorrow. Feeding that resentment will be the small matter of Iran's determination to annihilate the Jewish state. 
in as much as it becomes Israel's neighbor in Syria and Lebanon, which is happening right now, Tehran's ambition to destroy Israel becomes all but irresistible. For the sake of someone, I'm sorry, for the sake of trade, China does not want this war. For the same reason, neither does Russia. Perhaps someone will come along and, strictly for the sake of business, bring peace to the Middle East. Sounds like what is the Bible says, right? But if such a treaty failed, which we know is going to happen, or if for any reason Israel becomes an economic threat to BRICS and the One Belt Road, it is feasible that Russia will descend, exactly as Ezekiel 38 says. China will march 600 million people coming from the kings of the east, right? And Tehran will launch. Why? To extract the sliver-sized country to unblock the flow of commerce and to deal with the Jewish problem once for all. Now tell me that's not an incredible article written by a Jewish person sitting down there thinking, oh, we've got it all figured out. The Bible said this thousands of years ago. Unbelievable. Christian news today. Um, Just so you know, a friend of mine just came in the mail today. He's up in Canada. Thank you, David. He uh, sent some tracts to me. Okay, these are for Roman Catholics. They're about Roman Catholicism, and we have a lot of Reformed Catholics in this church. And I can recommend these if you want to read them, and if you want to hand them out, please do. Um, Before you do, I'd like to get the information off of them. But the reason why I'm saying this on a Prophecy Update is because they are from Proclaiming the Gospel. Okay, you can contact them online. And uh, the guy's name is Mike Gendron. Okay, a lot of people know him. He's a a famous person in uh, Christian circles. They're very well laid out. They explain the problem with Catholicism very clearly and very definitively. So if you have a problem in your family with somebody stuck in Catholicism, I'd like you to know that these are out there and that you can send these out. Once again, thanks to my friend David for sending those all the way from Canada. All right, Christian news from Charisma. Message Bible creator. Okay, everybody knows the Message Bible. Um, it's not really a Bible in the sense because it's more like a, a paraphrase. But And he never claims that it's inspired or anything. He just took it and wrote it. I have not read it. I don't want to read it. But Message Bible creator Eugene Peterson changes mind on homosexuality. He would perform a same-sex marriage if asked. Now, what's going to happen is prophecy people are going to say, the Message Bible is corrupt because this guy is um, uh, now ordaining or or marrying homosexuals or whatever. That's known as a source fallacy. Just because something has its source from a bad player. We'll say like the King James 1611 version, King James. Well, a lot of people say that King James was gay. Okay, so they say it's a corrupt Bible because he was gay and he had an agenda. Source fallacy. It doesn't matter if somebody was gay or even on the translation committee that was gay. Okay, what matters is the content of what you're reading. Okay, and genetic or source fallacies happen all the time. Well, his father is a, a bad guy, so he's a bad guy. That's a source fallacy. Don't do that. But I do not recommend the message anyway. Okay, it's just something that I think that uh, people would be better off with a good translation of the Bible and getting into God's Word and studying it instead of reading a paraphrase. Having said that, I do know people that have read it and actually find that it's rather poetical and stuff, but I have no interest in knowing about it. You know, don't don't send me an email and say it's really good and you should read it or it's really bad and why would you bring that up? I'm just bringing up the issue that this person has had a change. Don't make a source fallacy in the process. Okay, from local Memphis, uh, statue unveiled in Dayton, Tennessee to honor Clarence 
Darrow. Everybody know who Clarence Darrow is from the Scopes Monkey Trial. He was the uh, he was against the Christians. Okay, a statue was unveiled in Dayton, Tennessee, Friday in honor of Clarence Darrow, the lawyer who lost the famous Scopes Monkey Trial. Well, you would think that having lost the trial, uh, that it would have been great for the Christians, but they lost the trial but won the war of public opinion. Okay, and they made the movie, if anybody remembers, Inherit the Wind with Spencer Tracy, and they made Christians look so stupid in that movie. Like, they don't know what they're doing. And anyway, Darrow lost the case. The evidence was faked, and the lie has been honored ever since then. So it's one thing I do not hold to in any way, shape, or form is evolution, okay? You can talk about microevolution, and, you know, I have a Great Dane, and I whittle it down to the size of a chihuahua. It's still a dog. Okay, we don't have dats because dogs and cats do not mix, all right? And we don't have elephants because elephants and mice do not mix. Everything breeds after its own kind. And so uh, I, I am a staunch creationist, 100%, and most of you know that. From USA Today, creationism support is at a new low. They're gloating over it in this article. The reason should give us hope, they say. Uh, new polling data. Here's another fallacy. We do not get our science from polls. Okay, Way too many Christians do that. Well, 58% of the people believe that the Bible is God's inspired word, and therefore it is. That's a fallacy. We don't do that. Same thing on the other side. It goes both ways. Polling data shows for the first time in a long time there's a notable decline in the percentage of Americans, including Christians, who hold to the young earth creationist view that humankind was created in its present form in the past 10,000 years. Well, I'm one, and it isn't 10,000 years. It's 6,000 years, but that's okay. <laughs> Evolution playing no part, and I agree with that, but they say they're happy that this is ending, this trend of people believing it. According to a Gallup poll conducted in May, the portion of the American public taking this position now stands at 38%. Whoopee. Just because somebody is wrong doesn't mean you have to agree with them because everybody else agrees with them. You stand on the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Okay? If 99.97% of all the people on this planet say, well, that's stupid, don't, don't agree with them, right? You agree with the one who has made the claim and is validated by coming out of the grave. Okay? All these fallacies in this thing. Um, 57% accept the validity of the scientific consensus that human beings evolved from less advanced forms of life over millions of years. Has atheism taken over so thoroughly? That's their question. They're saying, well, if it's been replaced with, with people that believe in evolution, then it must be atheists. And they're saying, no, no. And that's why the apparent break in creationism versus evolution stalemate is significant. They're saying that these are believers. These are people that revel in religion, whether it's Hinduism or whether it's uh, Buddhism or whether it's Judaism or blah, 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 blah. These are believers, and yet they've thrown away this stupid idea that God actually created and he did it, you know, according to the way the Bible says. So they're, they're gloating over it. Anyway, um, in the search of creative solutions to other intractable public arguments. So there you go. Just another one of those uh, little articles that you come across and you say, why are we why are we even debating this? Did polls say that Hillary was going to win? Yeah, that's right. Polls said that Hillary was going to win. Very good. From Christian Headlines today, archaeologists discover evidence of Nebos Vineyard 
referenced in the Bible. The story of Naboth, Ahab wants the vineyard, and he, let me read this to you. Dr. Norma Franklin, she's not a believer, confirmed that Jezreel Valley was a wine-producing region, something they never accepted before, as the Bible says. The Jezreel expedition team used laser technology to analyze the region and found several wine and olive presses, as well as over 100 bottle-shaped pits carved into the stone. Franklin believes these hewn-out imprints were used to store wine in ancient times. This discovery confirms the biblical account of Naboth and his vineyard in 1 Kings 21. There the Bible tells the story of a man named Naboth who owned a vineyard. Excuse me, Israel's king at the time, the wicked King Ahab, coveted Naboth's beautiful vineyard and ended up having Naboth killed so that he could take the vineyard for himself. Have you ever wondered why everybody that mentions Ahab always says wicked king Ahab? Think about your own epitaph because you're going to be remembered on one side or the other of the coin, right? We have good king uh, Josiah and we've got wicked king Manasseh. These people are remembered all these thousands of years later because how they conducted their lives in the presence of the Lord. And every one of us will have the same, you know, how is he going to be remembered? How is she going to be remembered? All right, Wicked King Ahab. It says here, although not a believer, speaking of Franklin, she acknowledged that the discovery does seem to validate the biblical account. I cannot say that there is definitely a specific man named Naboth who had a particular vineyard. The story is very old, but from what I found, I can say that the story as described in the Bible quite probably could have occurred here in Jezreel. Good job, Bible. All right, mail online. Prosecutor, man killed inmate... After Bible verse dispute, yes, West Virginia man pled guilty to killing a fellow prison inmate after a dispute over a Bible verse. Timothy Parsons pled guilty to the stabbing death of Eugene Anderson. Parsons defeated Anderson in a game of Bible knowledge at the Mount Olive Correctional Institute. After the game, authorities say Anderson tried to set up a prison hit on Parsons, but Parsons stabbed Anderson 20 times. And they argued over thou shalt not kill. Okay, I made that up. They, yeah. Okay, from uh, Todd Starnes, let's see here. LGBT activists mock Christian ministry's decision to reclaim the rainbow. Okay, LGBT has been rainbowing it up all, and there is a Christian ministry who I am way behind this guy, always. Um, he's Everybody here know Ken Ham, the creationist that built the giant ark up in, uh, where is it, Tennessee or something, wherever it is. Um, he's trying to reclaim the rainbow for Christ. Now, the LGBT rainbow is six colors. Six is the number of man, specifically fallen man, so they got the right part there. But um, the rainbow that is in the sky, we perceive of seven colors, Roy G. Biv, red, uh, orange, yellow, green, uh, blue, indigo, violet, Roy G. Biv. Anyway, um, so it's not the same rainbow, but it is good that this guy is doing this. Here's what he says. Uh, the man behind the world-famous Ark Encounter has decided to reclaim God's rainbow, announcing the massive Ark exhibit will be permanently bathed in rainbow lights. Good job. You know, this guy, he's got just such a heart for creation and for God's word and for the Lord. Good job, Ken. We now have a new permanent rainbow lights at the Ark Encounter so all can see that it is God's rainbow. And he determines its meaning in Genesis 6. Answers in Genesis founder Ken Ham announced that the rainbow is a reminder God will never again judge the wickedness of man with a global flood. Next time the world will be judged by fire, he said. Good job, Ken Ham. 
Uh, as I said, no Islam today. We'll move on to Mongolia. Uh, this is from Next Shark. We know that Mongolia's got a new president. This is tough dude here. Asia Mongolia's new president is a, they use a word, well, I'll just say he's super bad. They didn't use that word. Anyway, judo expert and Olympic gold winning coach. Yeah, he's a big guy. Maybe Dwayne The Rock Johnson has a chance at the Oval Office after all. On July 7th, the Mongolians elected their new president, a guy named Khaltma Batuga, after the most divisive election in the country's history. Batuga previously served as a member of parliament since 2004. He's also a world champion in Sambo and is responsible for leading Mongolia to its first ever gold medal win in judo in the 2008 Olympics. Good job. Batuga ran a campaign against Against his opponent that relied heavily on xenophobia, nationalism, and fear-mongering, with its supporters accusing Ankbold, his the guy against him, of having Chinese heritage. Xenophobia, sinophobia, that means uh, a fear of Chinese, okay, and his, his uh, opponent had Chinese heritage. Now, just so you know, if you go back to the Table of Nations in Genesis chapter 10, one of the sons of Canaan is Sin, S-I-N, and that's, they migrated all the way to China. The Chinese people are from that line of Ham and Canaan, or uh, there you go. Anyway, might be just Ham, but I think it's from the line of Canaan as well, but it's from Ham, definitely. Anyway, his campaign slogan was Mongolia, I hope I pronounced that right, which can be translated to a Mongol, Mongolian, uh, will triumph promoting the notion that only Batuga could claim such lineage. Batuga will take his place as Mongolia's fifth president, succeeding El Beddorj after a successful two terms in office. So if you want to see photos of that guy, watch the update or just go on and type his name in the Internet, and he's, he's a big guy. Wow. So he might clean out some trash from the government. Let's see here. From Daniel 12 Technology Today. Mail online, very bad idea. This is anybody remember watching, um, uh, what was it, uh, Terminator, the first Terminator? Yeah. And the battle was actually supposed to be in like 1984 or something, which shows you how old we are. Anyway, um, uh, remember seeing these cyborgs that were out in the battle at the very beginning of it, and they have their own guns, and they're shooting at people, okay? We got it coming right here. Uh, AK-47 maker Kalashnikov reveals it is developing an AI-controlled gun for the Russian military, taking humans completely out of the equation, exactly as the Terminator showed. Kalashnikov, best known for its AK-47 rifle, is building a range of products based on neural networks, using the same terminology from Terminator, including a fully automated combat module that can identify and shoot at its targets. The Kalashnikov combat module will consist of a gun connected to a console that constantly analyzes image data to identify targets. According to Kalashnikov, it will be able to make decisions on whether to shoot or not. Tell me that's not a bad idea, okay? Mail online. Let's see here. Electric glove. This is wonderful. Here. Electric glove translates sign language into text messages in real time to help deaf people communicate. Wow. Device consists of a standard sports glove fitted with nine flexible strain sensors. Sensors monitor how the knuckles move to turn sign language into text. The device allows deaf people to message those who do not know sign language. It translates it and it sends it on. Good job. Does anybody know what I think it's I think it's this. Anyway, it, the heart sign. That's I, anyway, I, I probably did it wrong, but anyway, that's only sign language I know. If I see it, I know that's a heart sign, but uh, anyway, um, let's see here. Journal News today. 
judge. Pacemaker, anybody? Don't commit a crime. Pacemaker data can be used in arson trial. Listen to this. A judge ruled that evidence from a pacemaker can be presented at a trial. Ross Compton was indicted on a felony charge of aggravated arson and insurance fraud for allegedly starting a fire at his house. Detectives say Compton gave statements that were inconsistent with evidence collected at the scene. Compton, who has an artificial heart implant that uses an external pump, told police he was asleep when the fire started. When he awoke and saw the fire, he told police he packed some belongings in a suitcase and bags, broke out the glass of his bedroom window with a cane, and threw the bags in the suitcase outside before taking them to his car. Police then obtained a search warrant for all of the electronic data stored in Compton's cardiac pacing device. The data taken from Compton's pacemaker included his heart rate, pacer, demand, and cardiac rhythms before, during, and after the fire. A cardiologist determined it is highly improbable Mr. Compton would have been able to collect, pack, and remove the number of items from the house, exit his bedroom window, and carry numerous large and heavy items to the front of his residence during the short period of time he has indicated due to his medical conditions. So very cool. They've got his heart showing no stress at all, and uh, they've got him up for felony charges. Cool stuff. From Revelation Plagues today, it's raining needles. More than 13,000 used heroin syringes are picked up in one month across the nation's parks and public spaces as America's opioid crisis spirals out of control. Thousands of used heroin needles are turning up in public places all across the U.S. Used needles are commonly found at beaches, playgrounds, riversides, hiking trails, and baseball dugouts. Children have been known to pick them up thinking they're toys. One girl thought a used syringe was a thermometer and put it in her mouth. The used needles carry the risk of spreading diseases such as hepatitis or HIV. Right out of the book of Revelation there, Pharmacia. Time news, um, New York man dies from exceedingly rare tick virus transmitted within minutes. Okay, this tick, he didn't die within minutes. The tick got on him, and it was only there a couple minutes. He pulled it off of him, and he still died from this. Listen to this. An elderly man from upstate New York died from brain swelling due to a rare tick virus, Powassan virus, which I reported on at the beginning of the season. It was transmitted within minutes. Ten days later, he woke up with a high fever and chills. He was hospitalized immediately and soon became paralyzed from the neck down. They said that less than a month later, he died from brain swelling. So we said, what was it, three months ago, this is going to be a terrible year for ticks, and it's coming true. Next article, CBS, Missouri woman dies after contracting rare tick-borne bourbon virus. Tamala Wilson worked at a state park. She's a park worker for 10 years. So she wasn't faced when she spotted ticks on her skin. She simply picked them off without giving it a second thought. Three days later, after her health started to deteriorate, Uh, She visited her primary care doctor to share concerns and was diagnosed with a urinary tract infection, given antibiotics, and sent on her way. A day later, things took a turn for the worst. About three weeks after she was admitted to the hospital, she died. Doctors said she's only the fifth confirmed case of the deadly disease since it was first discovered. But now that it's out there, we'll see it spreading, especially with this tick season that we have. Morality Today from the Christian Post House rejects ban on transgender surgery for troops, okay? The House rejected, rejected an amendment proposed by Representative Vicki Hartzler, who's a Republican, 
to the $696 billion 2018 National Defense Authorization Act. This means that Republicans have no control over this government at all because all they needed was a simple majority to have this go through. Hartzler's amendment would have nixed the military's authority to fund hormone therapy, sex change surgeries, and other treatment related to gender transition for transgender members of the military and their families. Instead, now we have to pay for this. They would have continued to fund mental health services regarded to gender dysphoria. You want to get better? Come and we'll talk to you. Hartzler argued that it makes no sense to create soldiers who are unable to fight and win our nation's wars and unfair to non-transitioning individuals who must leave their families and deploy in their place. Members who undergo surgical transition would be non-deployable for up to 267 days. And regular hormone treatments renders individuals non-deployable into the future. So you join the military, you don't have to do anything, just say, you get, everything gets paid for, you get to change your gender, you get a military paycheck, you retire 20 years later having done nothing for your government and sucked off of the people of the land. And we can't pass a bill like that in our Congress. We need to get some real conservatives into Congress. From Weasel Zippers, Rainbow Crosswalks in Atlanta. We did Houston a couple weeks ago. Now they have them in Atlanta. Guess what? $196,000. They should last for about 10 years. So it's not that bad. It's only $20,000 a year, folks. Don't worry about it. Can you imagine that? $20,000 a year to look at something that is an affront to 99% of the society. Absolutely terrible. Okay, one day. I'm just going to read you titles from one day of Christian Institute News, which is over in England. Just titles. One day. I get this every day. I get, you know, uh, people send me these things from all over the world. This is one day from Christian Institute. School LGBT agenda gets more backing. Second article. Education secretary. I will advance the LGBT agenda. Third article, clamor for pro-LGBT sex ed in all schools. Fourth article, trans agenda is harming children, says pediatrics leader. Fifth article, UK embassies bypass local law to host same-sex weddings. Sixth article, abortion is family planning, claims BPAS boss. That's family planning. And your last article, five-year-old investigated by police for sexting. One day, and I see these every single day, I probably get 20 sites like this. Five-year-old sexting. Our other category. China, this is Zero Hedge. China deploys troops to its first overseas military base in Africa. We're talking about the uh, Maritime Road. We have the Silk Road. Well, they have the Maritime Road. They are establishing bases in the world, and their first one, their first overseas base is in one of the most critical spots on the planet. Okay, China has deployed troops to the country's first overseas military base in Djibouti on the Horn of Africa. Guess what? Everything goes up through the Suez Canal right by there. As China's rapidly modernizing military extends its global reach, Djibouti is situated at the southern entrance to the Red Sea on the route to the Suez Canal. It is located at a highly strategic, if dangerous, part of the world. The Bab el-Mandeb Strait is one of the planet's most important choke points. Like the Suez Canal, there are numerous nations that have an interest in keeping it open and secure. Additionally, its location on the Horn of Africa makes it an attractive base from which to conduct anti-terror or other military operations both in Africa and the Middle East. As Xinhua reports, 
ships carrying Chinese military personnel from the PLA, which is the uh, People's Liberation Army in China, departed Zanjiang in southern China's Guangdong province to set up a support base in Djibouti without providing details on the number of troops that were deployed. They just sent a bunch of people over there, okay? Referring to the facility as a support base, the Chinese media has said its purpose will be to ensure China's successful performance of missions in the region. In the past, China has pitched its involvement in the country's development as an extension of Xi's ambitious One Belt, One Road uh, initiative, which is essentially an expansive initiative that, one, gives China an excuse to take a stake in any country that's willing to accept FDI, and two, creates a kind of pressure valve for Beijing's excess industrial capacity. Meanwhile, Djibouti's position on the northwestern edge of the Indian Ocean has fueled worry in India that it would become another of China's string of pearls of military alliances and assets ringing India from Bangladesh, Myanmar, and Sri Lanka. Once again, if you've been watching the news, there's a lot of trouble between China and India right now this week, and this is only going to exacerbate it. As Reuters cited a Western official, if I were Indian, I would be very worried about what China's up to in Djibouti. Djibouti enables uh, China to base its long-range naval assets there, and these are capable of maintaining surveillance over the Arabian Sea as well as India's island territories off their western coast. Dangerous world we're living in. Mail Online. Remarkably resilient. Scientists are stunned by corals as big as cars and thriving marine life at Bikini Atoll, where 23 atomic bombs were dropped. I've got a purpose for reading this in a second. Bikini Atoll, you've all watched the nuclear bombs. I love to watch them. I'll click on and watch 20 of them sometimes on YouTube. It's just fun to watch. Most of them were at Bikini Atoll. All right. It was used to carry out nuclear weapons tests between 46 and 54. The exposed corals and other species to persistent high levels of radioactivity. But the Pacific Ocean Island is a blooming population of plants and animal life. It's teeming with fish such as snapper, sharks, and tuna while boasting corals as big as cars and crabs the size of hubcaps. You know, you think about um, the millennial reign of Christ after we have completely destroyed this world through nuclear holocaust. It's going to be by fire. Right there. We have proof that the nuclear radiation may have immediate effects of destroying life, but afterward, you wonder how the Bible says that people are going to live to be older than the oak trees, right? If a person dies at 100 years old, they're going to say he was accursed. Well, maybe that's part of it, is that the nuclear, uh, you know, what happens, the after effects will actually stimulate people to live long times again. I don't know. It's just speculation, but hey, we've got proof of it right here. Gateway Pundit. Difference between Presidents Trump and Obama? Obama incurred $1 trillion more debt at this time in his presidency. $1 trillion more. Yeah. He's dropped it by $600 billion. He raised it by $400 billion over, yeah, so over a trillion dollars difference between the two. Thank you, President Trump. From IFL Science, scientists have genetically engineered dogs to make them more muscly. They're, guess what? If they're doing that with dogs, this, this is in China, guess what's next? They're checking it out to see if they can make their dogs bigger and stronger and faster, right? There we go. Humans next, folks. Uh, from Zero Hedge, new study finds U.S. healthcare system ranks 
dead last compared to other developed nations. Once the pride of the entire world was our medical system, and because of the last eight years, we are dead last in developed nations. I was in Malaysia, and Malaysian, I went to the hospital a couple times while I was there, and it was as good as America. I got to tell you what, third world country, but we've just ran it into the ground. Um, before we go to our irony of the week, one will come right out of the Bible. I want to remind you that at the end of this video, I will link Sergio and Rhoda's video. A lot of us sat here and watched it in church this morning. It was outstanding. A little bit of uh, sharing the gospel in it and uh, marvelous stuff. So please stay and watch that as well. Um, our irony of the week. The first one I want to read you from 1 Corinthians chapter 26 through 31. The reason why I'm reading this is because of that boy that died. Okay, he had a disease. He, uh, he was not known to the world standards. He's not famous. He uh, wasn't rich. He wasn't any of those things. But the Lord has put something ironic into his word concerning those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And this is in honor of Christopher. It says, um, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen like our brother Christopher and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So we're all going to meet him some wonderful day. My heart goes out to his family and it goes out to the family of my friend Brian who lost his brother this week. Two ironies for him will be done. From Weasel Zippers, Women's Marchers, hired armed guards for their protest against the NRA. Ah, yeah, got pictures of them and everything. And then one more from The Mirror, which is over in the UK. Author of book, How to Survive Bulls of Pamplona, is gored by bulls in Pamplona. <laughs> Such is the world we live in. So from Sarasota, Florida to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, and the family of our brother resting in Christ, I'm Charlie Garrett. This is The Superior Word, and that is your Prophecy Update for the week.